Welcome to the Weekend Pulpit of Everyday Truth. We are currently in a series of messages studying the life of Elijah and considering the ups and downs of serving God. Hope you enjoy. God bless. Uh, would you open your Bible uh, this morning to the book of 1 Kings, uh, chapter number 18? 1 Kings, chapter 18. We've been uh, in a series of messages on the life of Elijah. And the life of Elijah is tucked away here in your Old Testament. And the story begins in 1 Kings chapter 17. We just finished that chapter last week. Three messages uh, from 1 Kings chapter 17. We talked about Elijah by the brook. We talked about Elijah being fed by ravens. We talked about Elijah pronouncing judgment upon the nation because of their Baal worship and Ahab and Jezebel, all of that. We talked about the widow at Zarephath and how Elijah was miraculously provided for, miraculously sustained by the widow at Zarephath. Then we talked about that widow's son, how that widow's son had died and God used Elijah. Of course, God does the miracle, but we, we saw the resurrection from the dead. Uh, very, very seldom in the Bible do we see that kind of miracle, but we saw it there. We learned some things about it last week. And if you've not heard the messages in the, for the past couple of weeks, uh, always encourage you to get caught up because we're, all these messages are in order. And I think you'll get a whole lot more out, out of your Bible if you'll just see it line by line, precept by precept, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning, and I want you to keep your Bible open and look with me at verse number one. So 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number one, I think you'll find it very interesting uh, what the Bible says about this kind of this obscure character in the word of God. Look at verse number one. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. What's very interesting about the story of Elijah is that Elijah pronounced that there would be a drought upon God's people for three and a half years, for three and a half years. That's a, that's a significant number for a couple reasons. Number one, when Jesus referred to this miracle in Luke chapter four, he referenced that time frame. So there was something special about that time frame, three and a half years. When James referenced Elijah's prayer in James chapter five, he referenced the time frame, three and a half years. Would it interest you if I told you that the great tribulation, still future, still future, the Bible talks about it in the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, uh, that the great tribulation upon this earth will be a tribulation of three and a half years. Now, we talk about the tribulation period being seven years, and certainly that's true from the standpoint of Daniel's 70th week, but the, the great part of that time, the, the, the negative part of that seven years will be what's called the great tribulation, three and a half years. And what's very interesting is just as there was great tribulation uh, on earth during Elijah's day, there will be great tribulation. Just like Elijah was dealing with an Ahab who didn't follow God, who worshiped other gods, who wanted the glory for himself, but was ultimately defeated. So uh, we will deal with, not we, but those that are on earth will deal with Antichrist, uh, one who's against God, one who uh, wants to replace God, one that will ultimately be, be defeated at the end of the three and a half years. So many parallels here in 1 Kings chapter 18 to that three and a half years. So the Bible says that in the third year, uh, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, see verse one, saying, here's God's word, go, show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. 
And the, the literal construction of that in the Hebrew language is, go that I might. Go that I might send rain. So in other words, if you don't go, rain's not coming. If you don't present yourself to Ahab, if you don't uh, call him to task for this Baal worship, if, if you, the people don't come to a place of repentance, if I don't show myself strong and show that Baal is nothing and I am the true God, then rain will not come. So the point here is that it's time now for God to be revealed. You say, well, shouldn't God have revealed himself three and a half years ago? I mean, after all, Elijah showed up at Ahab's palace three and a half years ago. Why didn't God just say three and a half years ago, I am God? Well, in essence, he did, but they didn't believe it. In essence, they did, but they weren't following him. Sometimes when people are stubborn, sometimes when people uh, won't trust God, God has to use things that they do trust, things that are important to them, like the economy, like rain, uh, like agriculture, to show them that I am God. Baal does not bring rain, I bring rain. Baal does not grow crops, I grow crops. And so God now is, is giving essentially the same message to Ahab, but Ahab will be listening now that God has uh, shaken him and gotten his attention. Look at verse number two. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. This was a step of faith on Elijah's part. You say, well, how was it a step of faith? Well, understand that now for three years, there's been no crops. For three years, there's been uh, no rain. Remember, uh, initially, Elijah was there by the brook Kareth, and the brook dried up. No more rain. The ravens stopped feeding him. No more food. Uh, Elijah went all the way up to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. There he went to the, the, the center of Baal worship, the place where Jezebel was from, Sidon, to a place called Zarephath, and a widow woman fed him there miraculously. Uh, that would not, that's counterintuitive to the way you and I would feed somebody, but God is doing some miracles, is he not? And now God says, Elijah, I want you to leave and go to Ahab. For the first time, this is the third time now that God is coming to Elijah. But for the first time, God does not tell Elijah how he's going to feed him. The first time he said, Elijah, go there. I'm going to feed you this way. Second time, Elijah, go there. I'm going to feed you this way. The third time, he says, go there. Isn't that interesting? What's interesting is we ought to, we ought to grow in faith. And we don't always need for God to tell us all the ways he's going to do things. We don't always need for God to tell us all the specifics about why we should go and how he's going to do it. And now he just says, hey, Elijah, go. And it was 85 miles. Think about that. 85 miles from Zarephath down to where, where Ahab lived in Samaria. 85 miles. That's a long hike. I mean, that's days on end. Uh, that, that's at least three days, but probably more. And he's going through dry land. He, he doesn't know, know where the water is. And that's a step of faith in and of itself. But it's always right to obey God. Look at verse number three. And Ahab called Obadiah. Now that's the name I want you to see. That's the guy we're going to talk about today. And Ahab called Obadiah. Now I know you're thinking, well, Obadiah, I, I know that name. Isn't that a book of the Bible? It is. Obadiah is a book of the Bible, short book of the Bible, uh, but a book nonetheless, but this is not that Obadiah. Matter of fact, Obadiah means servant of the Lord or worshiper of the Lord. And there are many names, uh, ma many people named Obadiah in the Bible, uh, many of them. I mean, you can look at the Bible and see several different people named Obadiah. This is most certainly not the prophet uh, by the name of Ob Obadiah. This is another person by the name of Obadiah. And who is this person? Well, watch what the Bible says in verse number three. So Ahab called Obadiah. Now here it is, which was the governor of his house. 
So who is Obadiah? Obadiah is the head honcho. Obadiah is like the vice president. Obadiah is the second in command. Obadiah is the steward of the home. He owns nothing. It belongs to Ahab, but he manages everything. He's the guy that runs the show. Uh, kind of like uh, Eleazar was the steward of Abraham. So, uh, so Obadiah is the steward of is the steward of Ahab. Like Joseph was the steward of Pharaoh. So Obadiah is the steward of of, of Ahab. Uh, much like Daniel was the second in command. Much like uh, Mordecai was the second in command. So Obadiah is the second in command. Now, if I were to say to you this morning, who is Obadiah in the Bible? I wonder how many of us ahead of this passage would know. I wonder how many of us would know, oh, oh Obadiah, wasn't that the governor of Ahab uh, in Samaria? Wasn't that that guy? Now, if you knew that, I'm giving you bonus points. Because it's just one of those people in the Bible who's very important, but you just don't know much about him. Won't it be wonderful in heaven when God sorts it all out to see people that weren't famous here but are famous there? Matter of fact, I think that uh, in heaven, it's going to be the great switcheroo. I think some people that are at the top of the ladder are going to be at the bottom, and some people at the bottom of the ladder are going to be at the top because God keeps score differently than we keep score. So I want to talk about what I call the forgotten Joseph. Because that's who, that's who Obadiah is to me. He is the forgotten Joseph. Now, Joseph, we all know Joseph, but we all know Daniel. We all know the story of Esther and Mordecai. But uh, uh, Obadiah, who's he? He's kind of that forgotten guy, but God used him in a great and powerful way. And so how did God use him? How does God use any one of us? And what can we learn from this man, Obadiah, whom I'll call the forgotten Joseph? Lord, I pray that you'd bless the message, how we need your help. We know that anytime the word of God is read, there you are. We know that we're reading not just a history book, but we're reading the very words of God. Thank you for that. Thank you for the preservation process. Thank you, Lord, that today in freedom and relative comfort, we can sit in this room and hear your word proclaimed. Lord, I pray that we would be more than merely hearers of it. Lord, I pray that today you would help us to take things from this passage that we can apply to our lives. May we reflect Christ because of what we'll learn today and what we'll apply. Please bless this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about the forgotten Joseph, this man, Obadiah. First of all, I want you to see what I'll call the remarkable character of Obadiah. Remarkable. The remarkable character of Obadiah. Would you look back down at verse number three? Let's talk about it. First of all, no, notice what he was called. Because the Bible says, and Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. So he was called the governor. Uh, that, that was his title. Here's a man that, this, this man had a title. This man was important. No doubt in Ahab's household, it was yes, sir. No doubt in Ahab's household, uh, he was the boss man. If Obadiah told you to do something, you did it. Matter of fact, there was nobody that told Obadiah what to do except for Ahab. What, we, what you're going to find in the passage is that when Ahab needed the most trusted guy, when Ahab needed the most important guy, he called upon Obadiah. I mean, Obadiah was the man. He was the governor. He was uh, the steward of the house. That's what he was called. He was an important person. Why? I think because he had character. Think about his name was Obadiah. Uh, that, that was his name. And Obadiah means worshiper of God, a servant of God. Now think about it. Jezebel had just imported Baal worship. Jezebel was all about Baal. Obadiah's name was worshiper of Jehovah. 
So he must have been pretty special. He must have been, uh, he must have been a, pretty, uh, a, a, a pretty special person for, for Ahab to retain him in his employ when his wife was trying to get rid of everything that was God. But he still retained the name Obadiah. That was his name. So that tells me that Obadiah's character superseded even uh, Ahab's, uh, maybe even Ahab's loyalty to his own wife. I can't imagine that Jezebel liked Obadiah being around, and yet Obadiah uh, was used by Ahab in such a, a profound way. So what was he called? He was called Obadiah. He was the governor of the house. And like Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, he retained his Hebrew identity. It's so easy when we live in the world. It's so easy when we work in the world. It's so easy when we go to school in the world. It's so easy when uh, kind of we're in this culture. It's so easy just to kind of downplay our identity with God, isn't it? It's just easy. It's just easier. You know, well, I'm not going to pray in public because I mean, I just pray silently. I don't want people really to, to know. And, uh, and, and if we're not careful, we'll just kind of enter that witness protection program, won't we? But that wasn't Obadiah. That was not Obadiah. Obadiah was somebody who was called as a servant of God. He was called as a worshiper of God. And what we're going to find is he was not ashamed of his identity in God. So what was he called? Number two, how was he committed? We're talking about his remarkable character. How was Obadiah committed to the Lord? Well, the Bible gives us a great clue in verse number three. Would you look at it again? First uh, Kings chapter 18, verse number three. The Bible says, parenthetically, now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Do you see that? Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. What a statement. What a statement. Now, remember, that's the statement of Scripture. That's not the statement of some man. That's not, uh, that's not some resume he's written about himself. That is the statement of God in Holy Scripture. I wonder, if God made a statement about me in Holy Scripture, what would it be? Because God knows not just the way I comport myself. God knows just, not just how I carry myself or the skills that I have or uh, the reputation that, that I have. God knows why I do what I do. God knows what's happening down on the inside. And what the Bible says about Obadiah is that he feared the Lord greatly. That's an internal characteristic. Now God said about him, this is what motivates what he does. He fears God. He has a healthy respect for God above every other motivation in life. Do you know that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Do you know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? Do you know that the fear of the Lord is the ABC of the Christian life? That if you don't learn to fear God, nothing else, you'll learn no other Christian grace if you don't learn how to fear God. Because fearing God is at the very heart. There, there is a God, and I answer to God, and He is God, and He's creator God, and He's boss, and I'm not. And, and my life belongs to Him, not me. I fear God, but not just fear God, I fear God Greatly, What a statement that was made about Obadiah. What a remarkable character he had. So, so how do you see that? I mean, we know that God knows the heart, but, but how do people, how, how could people detect that he feared God greatly? I mean, God could tell us, but, but what evidence is provided in Scripture that tells us that Obadiah was a man that feared God greatly? Well, look at it, verse number three. So Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. That was what God said about his commitment. But watch how his commitment shows up so that all of us can see it. Verse number four, for it was so. So do you see how that connects to feared God greatly? He feared God greatly, for it was so. In other words, here's an indication of it. 
Okay, illustration. Here's an example of fearing God greatly. For it was so, verse number four, when Jezebel, yeah, back to her, when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. You think about that. When Jezebel came from Sidon, when Jezebel influenced Ahab to make Baal worship the state religion of Israel, and for the first time in Israel's history now, her state-approved God is Baal, not God. And they built a temple in the capital city of Samaria, and Jezebel presided over all of that. One of the things that Jezebel did was not only to build for Baal, but she cut off the prophets of God. Now, cut off literally means that. Cut off. I mean, she cut off their lives. She looked for them to hunt them down to kill them. That's what she wanted to do. And she couldn't cut them off by cutting off their life. She expelled them from the nation. She did everything she could to mitigate the influence of God's word via the prophets in the country. I mean, she did not want God's word in the school system. She didn't want God's word at the workplace. She didn't want God's word on the state, uh, on, on, on the state currency. She didn't want God's name anywhere. She cut it off. Boy, does that sound uh, vaguely familiar. And that's exactly what she was doing. And uh, these prophets of the Lord, by the way, they were, there was a t- it was tough before Jezebel came. I mean, before Jezebel ever showed up, it was tough to live for God in Israel. I mean, think about it. 58 years before, a man by the name of Jeroboam, remember the former general of Solomon? He got all insecure and decided that he didn't want to worship the true God in the same way that the southern kingdom worshiped the true God because he was kind of worried about his people being loyal to those people. So he cut off temple worship. Remember that? Jeroboam said, we're not going to go down to the temple anymore. We're not going to worship God in God's way. We're not going uh, to have any priests here. We're not going to have any Levites here. We're not going to go to the three festivals a year, Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles. We're not going to go. We're going to stay up here. Matter of fact, we're going to make golden images. We're going to make a golden altar in Bethel. That's the southern part of Israel. We're going to make a golden altar up in, in Dan, the northern part of the kingdom. And we're going to worship God our way. We're going to worship, we're going to still worship God, but we're going, to, we're going to do it our way with our people by our rules. Is it not interesting that when we choose to worship the true God our way, it doesn't take long before we're not worshiping the true God? That's what happened. 58 years later, the country was ripe to say, we don't want God anymore. Because God, following God is doing God's will in God's way with the right heart motive. But for 58 years, they've been on this downward trend until finally Ahab said, no more God. No more God. And that's what the prophets of God are dealing with. So when Jezebel is cutting off the prophets of God, whom is she cutting off? She's cutting off some pretty faithful people. She's cutting off people that don't have a synagogue. Synagogue worship doesn't start for 300 more years. There's no, there's no church building. There's no place where people are learning the word of God. There's no Bible study. They don't, they don't come and sign up for a group. No, the prophets are meeting with people on street corners. They're out in caves. Uh, they're, they're, preaching, uh, they're preaching to households. I mean, they're trying to get the word out best they can. And now Jezebel is taking these prophets and saying, no more. So how does any of this relate to Obadiah? Well, watch what it says. Now, Obadiah is a man of remarkable character. He was called a servant of God, but he was committed. Well, watch the level of his commitment. And watch how he feared the Lord greatly. Verse number four. And it was so, when Jezebel cut off all the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah, huh, Obadiah took an hundred prophets, and he hid them by 50 in a cave. 
50 over there, 50 over there in a cave, and he fed them with bread and water. Boy, you talk about brave. Here's a guy that operates under the nose of Jezebel. Here's a guy that probably interacts with her every single day. He's in the royal court. He makes all the big decisions. He knows what the edicts are when they come down. He sees the, the paperwork that Jezebel's signing. He knows the, 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 the army personnel going out to, to get these prophets. What, what does he do? He uses his influence on the inside surreptitiously to do everything he can to find these prophets of God and hide them in a cave. I mean, this is like, this, this is drama. I mean, this is like a made-for-television drama movie right here. I mean, it's un- unbelievable uh, what, what commitment this man has. So not only do we see what he was called, Obadiah, the servant of God, he lives by that name. Uh, not only do we see how he was committed, hey, I fear God, but my fear for God shows up in what I do. I'm going to put my own life on the line for other people. But watch this. Not only was he called and not only was he committed, I said number three, he was consistent. Because did you see the final thing it said about him? In verse number uh, four, parenthetically, he hid them by 50 in a cave. That's a one-time thing. You hide somebody in a cave, that's a one-time thing. Here's your hiding place. So long. Hope it works out for you. I heard about this raven thing. I hope that works for you. No, no. Here's what happens. The Bible says in verse number four, and he fed, he fed them. He fed them with bread and water. Well, that's tough to come by. I mean, bread and water, everyone's looking for bread and water. Water is uh, the supply and demand. I mean, the supply chain's broken, right? They need, they need water. They need food. And what, what is he doing day by day? What is he doing week by week and month by month? He's caring for these prophets. He's continually putting himself in danger to help God's people. Hey, that's real faith. You know what real faith is? Real faith is what shows up every day. Anybody can make a big decision. Anybody can make a big one-time gift to God. Anybody can say, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to go on this mission trip. Anybody can do that. But you show me the person that day after day after day after day, they live for God and they stand for God and they put their life on the line every single day. That's true Christianity. That was Obadiah, the forgotten Joseph. We didn't even know his name before we started this message. But what a man of God whom God used in 1 Kings chapter number 18 was Obadiah. A man called. I'm identified with God and I fear God. I'm committed to him and his work and his word. And I'll do it day by day and be consistent. I read this week again about the story of Corey Ten Boom. You know the story. Many of you have seen the, the movie or read the book, The Hiding Place. If you've never read that book, it's a classic. How Corey Ten Boom grew up in a watchmaker's home. You know the story in the Netherlands. A town called Harlem, after which Harlem in New York was named, in the Netherlands. And there she worked with her dad and her family. You know this, the Nazi Germany took over the Netherlands back in May of 1940. And all of a sudden, the Nazi regime had imposed its laws. And with them, the, the marginalization of the Jews. Little by little, uh, Corey began to see outside her window how Jewish people's uh, shops and Jewish people were being beaten and, and, and even, uh, even taken away. And what's going on? And fear began to run rampant in the city as this anti-Semitism grew and grew. 
One day a knock came on their door. It was a Jewish family that was afraid and they took them in their home. They watched them and they cared for them and they shuffled them out of town. And then another family, another family became dangerous to keep people in the home. So they created a hiding place. Remember that? A hiding place. Big enough for six people, no, no bigger than a closet. They put a little ventilation system in. They, they had a buzzer system. And when the Gestapo would come to the door, they, they'd hit the buzzer. Or somebody would come to the door, they'd hit the buzzer. And whoever was in the house would hide in that little closet. One day, February 28th, 1944, they hit the buzzer and the Gestapo came in. They had been ratted out. They had been informed upon. Gestapo, Gestapo turned that house upside down. Arrested everybody in the house. They never found the Jewish family that was hiding. By the way, over 800 people went through. But they never found the Jewish family that was hiding in the hiding place. They got out safely. But Casper, the, the dad, and I think uh, Betsy, the, the sister, and, and Corey, uh, they were sent to a concentration camp. 30 other family members. And most of the other family members were released, but those three stayed in concentration camp. So respected was the dad, he was 84 years of age, respected watchmaker. They said, if you'll just promise not to hide Jews anymore, we're going to let you go. We don't want to keep you in this prison camp. He said, if you let me out today, I'll answer my door tomorrow. And he died in that concentration camp. And so did Betsy. And 12 days later, by a clerical error, Corey got out, and for all these years, of course, she's dead now, testified of what God had done in their family. You know, we read stories like that, and we're amazed at the courage that people would stand up to Nazi Germany, would stand up to the injustice of, of marginalizing an entire race of people. But where are the Christians that stand up, stand up for Jesus? Where are the forgotten Josephs? Local Badiah that says, hey, listen, uh, my, my, my God and his reputation and his people are more important than even my life. And day by day, he risked his own life. The character of Obadiah, wow. What makes me want to say, boy, maybe I could take a better stand. Maybe I can be a little bit more vociferous about my faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe I can uh, be a little bit more bold about my witness for Christ at my workplace or my school or my neighborhood. For sure, the character of Obadiah. But not only do I see the character of Obadiah very quickly this morning, notice with me, number two, what I'll call the contrast of Obadiah. Because the Bible contrasts him now with Ahab. And I find it so interesting it's a remarkable character, but it's a recognizable contrast. You're going to see it immediately. Look at, look at verse number uh, five of our text. The Bible says, And Ahab said unto Obadiah, These are the two leaders. These are the two people holding Israel together, humanly speaking. Things have been bad. I mean, really bad. They've been scrambling. I mean, they've been looking all over for Elijah, can't find him. They're looking for resources, can't find them. They're looking for a green grass, can't find it. They're looking for water, can't find it. Now it's gotten desperate. The Bible says in verse number five, And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all the fountains of water, if you can find them, unto all brooks. Of course, we know of one brook that already went dry. Unto all brooks, peradventure, in other words, maybe, maybe, maybe we may find grass. 
to save the horses and mules alive that we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went one way by himself. Obadiah went another way by himself. But what a contrast. Just two short verses, but what a contrast between Ahab and Obadiah. And by the way, can I just say this? When you stand for Jesus Christ in a sin-cursed world, there ought to be a marked contrast between you, your testimony, and your motivation, and people that follow this world system. And the Bible teaches there was a great contrast between Ahab and Obadiah. What was that contrast? I think, first of all, it was a contrast in authority. It was a contrast in authority. In other words, uh, Obadiah was under authority. Ahab was not. Obadiah was following uh, the, the, the orders of his authority. Uh, Obadiah, uh, Obadiah was, Ahab was not. You say, well, how is that a contrast? Because Obadiah is going to show us that he obeys the higher power. So Obadiah obeys Ahab. If Ahab tells him to do something that's not violating scripture, but when Ahab tells Obadiah to do something that violates scripture, uh, uh, Obadiah obeys God rather than man. Isn't that what Peter and John did in Acts 5, 29? Isn't that what we ought to do, obey the higher powers? That's what Obadiah did. There's a great contrast. And can I just say this? I am a Christian first. I love America. I'm going to tell you something. I am a Christian first. I love being a Baptist, but I am a Christian first. And being a Christian comes in conflict with being a Baptist, I'm a Christian. And being a Christian comes in conflict with being an American, I'm a Christian. And we might have to face that day. And what I'm saying is our loyalties go to God first. Now, in most cases, those loyalties don't compete. And we can be a great citizen. And we can have great patriotism. And we can still love God. What I'm saying is God needs to be number one. There was a contrast with authority. But not only was there a contrast with their authority, there was a contrast with their affections. There was a contrast with what with their affections. In other words, uh, Ahab cared for... And Obadiah cared for, and we've already learned that Obadiah cares for people. We already learned that Obadiah cares for the people of God. Obadiah cares for, by extension, the word of God. Obadiah cares for spiritual things and, 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 and people and things that matter, eternal things. What does Ahab care for? Himself. Hey, let's go find some grass so we can save some mules. Let's go find some brooks so we can save some animals so we don't lose them all. Not a word about his people. Not a word about repentance. Not a word about God. Not a word about anything eternal. You know, Ahab's sole concern is, how can I keep as much as I can? How can I keep as much as I can? Mules and horses. How can life be as good as it can for me? How can I save as much as I possibly can from losing? has spent his whole life grabbing, his whole life clutching, his whole life holding on. Like so many people live their lives never thinking about God and never thinking about others, just thinking about me and me and what can I get for me? How can I hold on? That was Ahab. Different affections. What drove him was different than what drove the forgotten Joseph, Obadiah. Different authorities, different affections, different accomplishments. No, Ahab, was, uh, Ahab wasn't concerned about accomplishing anything for God. And Obadiah's only concern was accomplishing something for the Lord. Obadiah's story is a story about how God used him secretly. 
Ahab's story was a story about how he could get things. Uh, you look, look at Ahab's story, humanly speaking. Oh, he got what he wanted. He wants a vineyard, he steals it. He enjoys it. He wants a, a country, he has it. Man, he does everything. Ahab does everything in life for himself. And boy, you take snapshots of Ahab's life, and boy, he's got, the, he's got this beautiful bride, and he's got this big crown on his head, and he's got this nice vineyard, and he's got this nice palace, and boy, he's got all these things. What does Obadiah have? Nothing. But Obadiah does all these things in secret, loving people, helping people, feeding them and giving them water, obeying God. I'll tell you, when life comes down to its final gasp, I'm going to tell you something. Obadiah goes to heaven with real accomplishments. Ahab, of course, if he goes at all, he did humble himself at one point, goes with nothing. A contrast, a contrast. But not only do I see the contrast of Obadiah, a recognizable contrast, and the remarkable character of Obadiah, notice with me lastly this morning what I'll call a renewed courage. The renewed courage of Obadiah. They say, well, Pastor Skelly, okay, great guy, has great faith, fears God greatly, lives for others, lives in the will of God, lives his life secretly for the Lord, and uh, wow, what a great man. But you know that great people in God's estimation still struggle greatly. You know, people with great faith sometimes have great anxiety. People that sometimes have great courage sometimes have great fear. And what we're going to find is that Obadiah, as great as he was, as bold as he was, as much as he feared God and lived for God, Obadiah struggled too. And this ought to encourage you to know that even great people of faith in the Bible struggled. Watch what the Bible says in verse number uh, seven. And as Obadiah was in the way, so Obadiah is out looking for water. He's out looking for grass. He's out trying to save some mules, some horses. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him. Remember him, Elijah? He's been making his way south from Zarephath. He's crossed the nation border now. Obadiah's been given the, the job to go north. He's probably somewhere in the, in the valley of Armageddon. He's probably somewhere in that great vast valley. And he's walking his way probably along the mountain range called the Mount Carmel uh, uh, mountain range. And, uh, and that's exactly the way Elijah's coming down towards Samaria. That's the way you'd walk. And at some point in the road, Obadiah's looking for grass. He's looking for water. And there, all of a sudden, behold, is Elijah. Must have been shocking. Matter of fact, it was shocking. Verse number seven. Behold, Elijah met him and he knew him. I mean, you're not going to miss Elijah. He hadn't had a haircut in three and a half years. It was obvious who it was. Didn't smell too good. Watch this. He fell on his face and said, Art thou that, my Lord Elijah? Are you that, Elijah? Are you that, Elijah? Is it really you? That's what he's saying. Is it really? This is shocking. We've been looking all over for you. Like randomly now in the middle of nowhere, I walk around and boom, there's Elijah. How many of us understand God does not do random? Look at verse number eight. And he answered him, I am. Are you Elijah? Yup. Go tell my Lord, behold, Elijah's here. You know, Elijah, you know, Elijah was not a small talker. You notice that? Say, hey, Obadiah, hey, by the way, good to meet you. Yeah, thanks for taking care of my buddies. I heard about that. No, it's like, yup, go tell him I'm here. That's it. 
okay? And, and, and watch Obadiah's response. That's not a hard command. Are you Elijah? Yes, I am. Go tell Ahab that I'm back. Verse number nine. And he said, what have I sinned? This is Obadiah. What have I done wrong that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? What? You wait, 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 wait. Stop, rewind. So you want me to leave you here. We've been looking for you for three years. Okay, now I'm gonna just leave you here and I'm gonna go back to Ahab by myself and say, hey, I found Elijah, but where is he? Oh, I left him there. What, are you trying to kill me? That's what he's saying. Look, look at verse number uh, not 10. As the Lord thy God liveth, there's no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. Elijah, do you know you've been gone for three years? I mean, we checked with the Syrians. We checked with the Assyrians. We checked with the Moabites. We checked with the Edomites. We checked with the Philistines. We checked with, we checked with everybody. And everyone said they'd not seen you. And when they said that, we didn't, we didn't know if we believed them. So we made them sign a note. We got a notary public. And we made them sign it and said, are you swear? Do you swear on your nation that you never saw them? Yep. That's what he says. Verse number 10. There's no nation or kingdom whether my Lord hath sent to seek thee. And, uh, and we took an oath of the kingdom and nation, but they found thee not. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah's here. So now we finally find you, and that's what you tell me? Just, just tell him that you're here? No way. That's dangerous. Verse 12, it shall come to pass. So Obadiah's got this whole thing figured out. Obadiah's dead before he's, before, I mean, he's talked himself into the whole problem. Look at verse number 12. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I'm gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. So when I come and tell Ahab, and he can't find thee, he'll slay me. Wow. I mean, he's got some issues. This guy that had enough courage to hide 50 guys over here, this guy that had enough courage to hide 50 guys over here, this guy that had enough courage to make sure that these 50 and these 50 have bread and water every single day. And every single day of his life, he realizes, man, if the gig is up, they can execute me for going against Jezebel's orders. This, this bastion of bravery is now saying, oh, 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 no, oh. I mean, I go back to Ahab. I tell him I saw you, but, but, but what if you, I mean, what if God takes you somewhere and he comes back and you're not here and then I mean, he's going to kill me? How does fear work in the lives of even good and godly people? I think, first of all, what we find with Obadiah is he was fearing the, the what ifs. He's fearing the what ifs. How often in life do we create a scenario other than fact and then fear the scenario we create? So here's what, here's what Obadiah, he comes up with this whole fanciful imaginative scenario. Well, okay, right, if I do what you say, if, then, then I'm going to go Ahab, and if he, he, I tell him where you are, then if the Spirit of God might take you away, and then if... Ahab comes and doesn't find you, and then if he gets mad at me, then I'll die. So I'm, I'm basically dead. Five ifs, and he already knows what's going to happen to him. How often are we paralyzed in our lives from serving God, from following God, because we create all these ifs? 
well, I can't witness to my brother because if I witness to my brother, then if, then he's going to think I'm this. And then if, then my sister-in-law is not going to talk to me. Then if, then, you know, I, I really like his, his, his son and he's not going to talk to me. And then, if, you know, and I can't witness to my boss because if I witness to my, my, my boss, then he's going to think I'm a kooky Christian and my promotion's coming up in three months and I'm not going to get it and I'm not going to get that promotion and my wife's going to be mad at me because she really wants you know, to, to, to get this new vacation home and then when I get the vacation home, then we're going to have to vacation in West Virginia. I don't like West Virginia. And just... <laughs> Man, you can go down the rabbit hole of hypothetical as long as you want to. He's fearing the what if. How much fear in life do we borrow because we invent it? The fearing of what ifs. But not only do I see the fearing of what if, watch number two. Uh, what, what I see is he's focusing on the what abouts. Look, look he feared the what ifs. That, that's verses uh, 7 through 12. But, but notice the middle of verse number 12. And it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from thee that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But then, then watch what he says at the end of verse 12. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord for my youth. But listen, let me, let me tell you about me. Okay, that's what's going to happen if I do what you say. If this and if that and if this and if that and if that, I'm dead. So let me just tell you who I am. Man, I've, I, all I've tried to do is serve God from the time I've been a youngster. I mean, I've been faithful all these many years. Look, look at verse, he's given his resume. Look at verse number 13. Was it not told, my Lord? Didn't anyone tell you, Elijah? You had to have heard this. Was it not told, my Lord, that what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophet by 50 in a cave, and I fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord. I mean, you're, don't you know who I am? I mean, I, I, I'm, I've done a lot for the Lord. I don't deserve this. You know, tell someone else to go tell Ahab. Well, why should I have to do this? I mean, I, I've been faithful. I've served God. I shouldn't be put into harm's way now. now. I wonder how often we are paralyzed from future obedience because we what about God? Well, God, what about so-and-so? Peter, you are going to one day be carried to a place that you don't want to go. And you're going to die in a way that you don't want to die. And Peter said, Lord, that would be my privilege. No, he didn't take the word of Jesus seriously. He just said, what about him? What about him? I mean, what, what does he have to go through? I tell you what, we can be paralyzed by the what ifs. We can paralyze ourselves with the whatabouts and fearing the what-ifs and focusing on the whatabouts. But watch with me finally this morning. He was forgetting about the what-is. That's what he forgot. And Elijah had to bring Obadiah back. This is where courage is forged. This is where courage is solidified. This is what the reminder needed to be. Elijah brought Obadiah back to what is. Look at verse number Verse number 14. And now, Obadiah is finishing his rant. And now thou sayest, go, tell thy Lord. Behold, Elijah's here. He's going to kill me. He shall slay me. And Elijah said, now watch this. Here's Elijah's answer. Elijah didn't go down the hypothetical game. Elijah didn't commend or decommend 
his resume. Elijah didn't go down either one of the roads because they were fanciful roads. Elijah went exactly where Obadiah needed for him to go. Watch what he says, verse number 15. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. Oh, you're worried that I'm not going to be here when Ahab shows up? Listen, as God lives, the God that runs the army, the Lord of hosts, as God lives, the one that runs the army, okay, when Ahab shows up, I'll be here. So just go get him. He doesn't go into a, you know, a, 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 a group therapy session. He doesn't schedule nine appointments. He brings Obadiah right back to the word of God. Here's what Elijah does. Ready? These four things. Number one, God is alive as the Lord God liveth. You know what will renew your courage and character today? God is alive. No one will, will renew your courage today. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So whatever that thing is that's looming large that you've created a bunch of hypotheticals why you can't do and all of what amounts that someone else ought to do it, okay? Uh, you can take all of that and say, you know what? In the moment of your obedience, Jesus is standing right beside you. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches that Jesus is in front of you. Jesus is behind you. Jesus is over you. Jesus is underneath you, the everlasting arms. And Jesus is in you. He's got you covered. He's got you covered. I will never leave thee. And so what does Elijah say? Hey, God's alive. Now, not only is God alive, God is powerful. He's the Lord of hosts. He's never introduced him this way. He showed up the first time, says, as the Lord God liveth, it's not going to rain. But when he comes back, he says, hey, as the Lord of hosts liveth. You know, I went out telling you about God, but I'm coming back and I've got God and his army with me. God is powerful. He said, well, oh, you, 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 you're standing for God. You and what army? His army. God's alive. God is powerful. I represent him. God is alive. God is powerful. And I represent him. Before whom I stand. As God liveth, the Lord of hosts, before whom I stand. God is, God is alive. God is powerful. And I represent him. God is alive. God is powerful. I represent him. Therefore, I obey him. God is, God is alive. God is powerful. I represent him. Therefore, I obey him. That's all Elijah said. He said, God, the Lord, God liveth. He's the Lord of hosts. Before him I stand, I will surely stand. So I'm going to do exactly what God told me to do. When, I, when Ahab shows up, hey, I'm not afraid for my life. If anyone ought to be afraid, Obadiah, it's me. I'm the one that gave the message. And when Ahab shows up, I'm going to be standing right here. Matter of fact, when he shows up and I'm standing right here, I'm going to tell him, hey, go get to all your buddies. When Ahab shows up, I'm going to tell him to get all, your, get, get all your prophets. When Ahab shows up, I'm going to say, get all the people. You know why? Because those that are with me are more than those that are with him. Because my God's alive. My God's powerful. I represent him. And therefore, I'm going to do what God told me to do. Pastor Skelly, that's easy for you to say on a Sunday morning, standing up in front of a bunch of people that agree with you. But I got to go to work tomorrow. So did Obadiah. So did Obadiah. And it's a relatively easy thing for me to get up and spit and stammer and, 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 and preach and proclaim on a Sunday morning. 
but you've got a much harder job than I do. You've got a much stiffer road than I do. Because I go to work and everyone at my workplace loves the Lord. I mean, we have some questions about the secretary, but I mean, <laughs> it's nothing for us to pray. It's nothing for us to say praise the Lord. It's nothing for us. But you go to an environment like Obadiah did. You're the forgotten Joseph, but you're never forgotten by him. Let's stand for Jesus. 